Hello and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast all about living lives that unleash courageous love in small and big ways, where we practice together a collective courage that leads to a deepening in spirit. I'm Reverend Sean, one of your hosts, and it's great to be back with you here for our ninth episode. You know, over these last few months, our podcast has been downloaded over 1,500 times from people all over the United States, from Colorado to Pennsylvania, California, and Illinois. And we've even had listeners across the globe in my home country of Canada, France, Australia. If you're listening in, I just want to say thank you for being on this journey with us. Now, you're going to love today's episode because we're hearing from both Reverend Gretchen and Reverend Elaine, two of my colleagues at Foothills. Each of them is sharing a message about the essence of life that is found in relationship, or really that relationship is essential to life. Gretchen preaches about the essential nature of relationship. Elaine takes that fundamental truth and asks the question, what does it mean for us in our daily lives with our children, loved ones, our coworkers? If relationships are essential, then our capacity to be with one another is an essential part of our life. So how can we intentionally build relationships that have compassion at their core, but also allow another person to be without need of fixing or saving them? The two reflections really fit together beautifully. I'm going to turn it over to Gretchen to begin in just a minute. But before I do, I'm going to share these words, this poem from Mary Oliver entitled The Journey. I invite you to use it as a time to transition. I imagine many of us listen to podcasts as we're doing things. We're walking, we're commuting, we're doing the dishes, we're doing housework. And yet even as we're doing, we can still bring an intention to our listening. So we can use Oliver's words as a way of transitioning from all that is going on around us to zeroing in on what's going on within us. Mary Oliver's The Journey One day, you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations. Though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world determined to do the only thing you could do determined to save the only life that you could save When I was in second grade, my favorite book was this little yellow paperback that was the story of saints. In all the same ways that people talk about the Bible as an instruction manual for life, 
I had the sense that everything that I could ever want to know about what it meant to live a good life, to be a good person was contained in this one little yellow book and it stories. This should horrify you. I mean, have you ever read the stories of the saints? They are filled with stories of women who starved themselves or who submitted to torture or who tortured themselves or all of the above. The path to sainthood, that is the path to being the best good person, or to put it in the terms of our series, the path towards the essentials of life is laid out in these stories as a matter of stripping away not just material goods or unhealthy habits, but stripping away of the very self. For all people, and especially for women, according to this book, to remove any trace of the individual is to live a life more fully at one with God. To live dedicated to God is another way to say live to live dedicated to that which is the most important. Remembering that God is simply another word for ultimacy, that is the ultimately important, the ultimately meaningful. Remembering that God is also another word for the ultimately mysterious and unknown reminds us that every attempt we make to live a life of such dedication is always an approximation and a practice that will fall short. The trying is the point. Now, even if you didn't obsess about St. Teresa of Avila as a child, at some point or another, you too probably got the message that the barrier between you and a life of ultimate purpose, the barrier there is you, your desire or your ego, your body and its needs, your being too much or not enough. The saints and the mystics use the word annihilation as in to be one with God was to fully annihilate the self. To find the essential life was to annihilate the self, the individual. These sorts of messages are why Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau's message of individualism resonate for so many of us when you are told that the essential facts of life have nothing to do with you, that you are actually the obstacle in the way of essence. It is intensely liberating and healing to hear that you are not the obstacle, but rather you are life's essence. You are what is essential. You are not in the way. You are the way. No law can be sacred to me but that of my nature, as Emerson wrote. Or I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, as Thoreau described. The transcendentalists were a strong corrective for the no self imperative of the moral life found in more traditional religious messaging. 
Instead of no self, the path of the essential life became only self. It is only what will I do with my one and wild and precious life? What will I do? As Unitarian Universalist Minister Cheryl Walker has said, for many people who felt the heavy yoke of being in communities of faith where they could not be fully who they are, individualism tastes like the food they've been hungering for. But, she says, it is only good when we are starving. Once we have had our fill, we remember that both of these paths are half-truths. Focusing only on the self or focusing on none of the self, both fail to account for the fuller story of what is actually essential. That is the truer path of the essence of life, which is relationship. The ways that the self comes into relationship with other selves, the ways that me moves to we, the ways that we are all in this together. As Margaret Wheatley writes, the scientific search for the basic building blocks of life has revealed a startling fact. There are none. The deeper physicists peer into the nature of reality, the only thing they find is relationships. Even subatomic particles do not exist alone. Although physicists still name them as separate, these particles aren't ever visible until they are in relationship with other particles. Everything in the universe is composed of these bundles of potentiality that only manifest their potential in relationship. Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh takes this even further, inviting us to consider life at its most essential, not just in terms of our interconnectedness, that is our relationship with other people, but also our interconnectedness with all of life across time and space and species, but what is what he calls our interbeing. He lifts up the biological reality that our body is a community. Our body is a community. And the trillions of non-human cells in our body are even more numerous than the human cells. Without them, we could not be here in this moment. Without them, we wouldn't be able to think or feel or speak. There are no solitary beings. The whole planet is one giant, living, breathing cell with all its working parts linked in symbiosis. To discern what is essential in life with relationship and our mutual potentiality as a starting point is infinitely more complicated and humbling than either the no-self or the all-self path offers, especially when you add in those non-human relationships. It invites us to both step up with all that we are and to surrender entirely 
to offer everything and yet know nothing, to accept that there is wisdom, not just in every other person, but also in plants, as Potawatomi writer Raman Wall Kimmerer teaches, or in marine mammals, as Black feminist Alexis Pauline Gums leads us to. There is ancient wisdom, and there is future wisdom. And we need all of these ways of knowing and living. And by holding each of these, all of these contradictory and chaotic, though they may be, this is the only way to live dedicated to that which is most important. The ultimately meaningful, that is, the ultimately mysterious and unknown. It invites us to hold at the very center of our lives the awareness that we have a peace. And it is a very small piece of the truth. And so we keep practicing, knowing that all we offer in this quest is an approximation. Everything we do will fall short. It is the trying that is the point. Relationships are essential because interdependence, interbeing, the way we are made up of one another, the way our very bodies and cells are made up of beings that are not us and yet are us, the way that we're formed and remade by others, all of this points to that essential truth that relationships are at the heart of life, even at the most quantum level. I love the questions that Gretchen raises in her reflection. I mean, because as we search for the essential, many of us do so neglecting relationship, either relationship with others or relationship with ourselves. We walk down the path of no self or selflessness, thinking that will get us to the essence of life. Or we walk down the path of all self, of selfishness, thinking, that the only important person or being in life is ourself. And yet what Margaret Wheatley and even our transcendentalist friends discover in their journey is that there's a middle road between selfish and selfless. Middle path of the self being full, fully connected within to itself but also fully connected with other people and beings. And yet that's uh, the harder road to take, to balance the demands of self and other. And yet it is at the heart of being alive. And that's why I love what Reverend Elaine is going to share in a minute. She's going to invite us into a certain practice that helps us with that middle path, that way of interbeing, that complex self that honors the way that we are made up of each other and yet we are distinct from each other. I'm going to turn it over now to Elaine. So it's not often that I feel embarrassed to admit that I can relate to joy, but that's what happened to me this week. It was during one of our Caring Listener Team monthly check-ins. And if you're not yet familiar with our caring listeners, they're this fantastic team of people who are there for our Foothills community to offer 
empathic listening, to offer spiritual support during hard times. And they used to be called parish visitors. You might be familiar with that name. Um, They're also there to offer the caring resources that we provide as a Foothills community. Anything from meal delivery to dropping off a caring kit at your doorstep with items of comfort and ritual, or even to help make sure that whatever your joy or sorrow is, uh, is named in the Sunday prayer. So that's our caring listeners. They're such a fantastic group of people. And our team was gathered this week for our monthly check-in, and we were watching a clip from the Pixar movie Inside Out. This was our way into a conversation about reflective listening. And honestly, I'm personally not very big on kids' movies, but I think Inside Out is a fantastic movie. And it's definitely not just for kids, even though it is an animated movie. And the movie explores the emotional life of a girl named Riley, who is growing up. She's moved to a new place. She's making a lot of adjustments. And we get to know the different emotions inside of Riley as other characters in the movie. There's joy, sadness, disgust, anger, and fear. And each emotion is its own separate character responding to different situations, each in their own way. And so this clip that we watched, it involved one of Riley's imaginary friends from childhood who happens to be a gigantic pink elephant named Bing Bong. And Bing Bong loses a treasured wagon that he and Riley used to play with in her imagination when she was little. And that's when this imaginary friend realizes that he's no longer an important part of Riley's inner life. She's gotten older and she doesn't need an imaginary friend anymore. She doesn't really need him anymore. And the full weight of this loss is settling in for Bing Bong, and he is just bereft. He is shocked, and he is immobilized by grief. And so Bing Bong, the pink imaginary friend elephant, just sits down and stares out into the distance, utterly weighed down by sadness. And the other characters look at each other and they do not know what to do because they have somewhere important to be. And Bing Bong was usually so upbeat and fun. And now he's just sitting there. He's staring out into space, lost and mournful. And how are these friends, these two characters, one named Joy and one named Sadness, how are they going to pull Bing Bong out of his funk? Because it's kind of ruining everything, and they have places they need to be. And so Joy, filled with energy, goes and takes the first crack at it. And this Joy character is beaming with all of this upbeat excitement, along with more than a little hint of desperation. And she tells the pink elephant, hey, it's going to be okay. Hey, we can fix this. She tries to distract him with tickling and with goofy faces and trying to make a game out of the sad situation. And what happens? Nothing. Bing Bong just sits there. But then Sadness steps forward. And Sadness sits down next to Bing Bong and she places a hand on his shoulder. And she names what's true. 
it's sad. And she invites Bing Bong to go into his feelings and to reminisce until he breaks out into tears and just cries. And after he's felt heard and understood, and after he's had a big cry, he's ready to keep moving. After the clip concludes, we're checking in as a caring listener team, and I ask, who can you relate to in this clip? And I was probably asking because I knew who I could relate to in this clip, and I was not feeling particularly proud of it. On my good days, and with most people, it feels very natural to meet someone wherever they are in their life, to offer empathy, to create a space for them just to have their feelings and move through them and move with them. But for me, when someone who's really close to me is deeply struggling, really witnessing their pain can sometimes just feel like too much to bear. I just want to fix it, or I want them to fix themselves. I feel helpless. I feel afraid. I just want it to stop. I've definitely been known to inform the not okay person that they're actually okay, or it's actually not that bad, or hey, why don't we look on the bright side of things? Anything to get some distance. Anything to get some sense of control in the face of a beloved's pain, in the face of a child's despair that cannot be fixed, in the face of a parent's frustration or grief, in the face of a friend's suffering that's the result of making the same bad decisions over and over, caught in the same patterns. And this kind of response is, it's very human to resist going there with someone. And it's also not very helpful. If it is true that we get closest to the essence of life, not through the no-self path and not through the all-self path, but we get closest to essence that is closest to love, closest to God, through the path of relationship and interdependence, then mindfully navigating our own emotional response to another person's struggles, it's not just a good idea. It's a spiritual practice. Because we can only come into the fullness of our own truth. We can only grow our own soul. We can only mend our own life while actively engaging in the undeniable reality of our relationship with others. This dynamic tension between freedom and connectedness, this paradox of individualism and interconnection, it is the beating heart of life's essence, and it is always in process. So, in practical terms, then, what does this mean for us? What does it look like to tend to our own heart, tend to our own needs? within a context of the complex ecosystem of life and spirit. Well, 
I want to invite you back into that caring listener training we were in a few minutes ago, looking at how joy and sadness responded to heartbreak. So just hang in there with me because I think this is all going to come together. So we watched that clip as a way of introducing the skill of reflective listening. And you've very likely heard of reflective listening before and are probably familiar with it. It's sometimes called mirror listening or active listening. Reflective listening is being able to identify and reflect back another person's feelings so that they are being, so that they know that they're being understood and to help them get some clarity for themselves. This can be a very supportive way to help someone process their feelings. And the steps are pretty simple. So first, you listen. You listen without judgment. You listen without planning what you're going to say next. You forget your agenda. You forget trying to solve this person's problem. Just be present and focus on the person. And then as you're listening, in your mind, try to identify and put a name to their feelings. Maybe it's fear or disappointment or sadness that you're hearing. And then next, when the time is right and it feels natural for you to speak, you can name and reflect back what you hear the person sharing. I hear how sad you've been feeling. Sounds like this is a really frustrating experience. You can say their very words right back to them, or you can paraphrase. And what I find fascinating about this is how good it feels to hear someone reflect back our own words and experiences. It sounds so simplistic, but it's really powerful. It's healing to be heard by someone who is genuinely just trying to understand where you're coming from and what you're feeling. And when we are listened to deeply, something shifts. Feelings can get metabolized. The web of connection moves into a new shape. Now, I don't have some naive or simplistic idea that reflective listening is going to save us all or that it's the best and only technique for offering someone support. But I'm sharing this tool this morning because it's a beautiful and simple example. Uh, it's a beautiful and simple dance that helps us honor the reality of both our individualism and our interconnection. The boundaries in reflective listening are so lovely because the responsibility and ownership of the story, it stays clearly with the speaker. And so the listener offers empathy and support, but doesn't own the message, doesn't own the story, doesn't overreach with unsolicited advice or heavy judgment. And so this exchange between the listener and the speaker, it connects them in with the deeper paradox of the essential. Though we are each our own people, we are all profoundly interconnected and interdependent. And our healing and our interbeing is most fully invited in when we companion each other as discrete individuals, one heart to another, one soul to another, reflecting 
connecting, but not merging, holding boundaries that are not walls of steel, but are sites of exchange and growth. May living in the sacred tension between individualism and interconnection heal us and set us all free. Amen. As I listen to Elaine's words, I see the faces of people who have offered that reflective listening to me, that have put on hold their judgments, their advice, even their well-meaning resources that might be helpful to just hold space for me, to allow me to thrash and figure things out, to contradict myself and yet still feel held, still feel cared for, still feel that they were holding a wholeness within me. I mean, I think we all know those people. When they listen to us, it doesn't feel like they want to change us. They just, they offer us a compassion. They're with us in whatever is going on. It reminds me of something that Rachel Naomi Remen, who's a medical doctor, wrote in one of her books, Kitchen Table Wisdom. I suspect that the most basic and powerful way to connect to another person is to listen. Just listen. She writes, Perhaps the most important thing we give each other is our attention, and especially if it's given from the heart. When people are talking, there's no need to do anything but receive them. Just take them in, listen to what they're saying, care about it. Most times, caring about it is even more important than understanding it. Most of us don't value ourselves or our love enough to know this. It has taken me a long time to believe in the power of simply saying, I am so sorry when someone is in pain and meaning it. I have even learned to respond to someone crying by just listening. In the old days, I used to reach for the tissues until I realized that passing a person a tissue may be just another way to shut them down, to take them out of their experience of sadness and grief. Now I just listen. When they have cried all they need to cry, They find me there with them. This simple thing has not been easy to learn. It certainly went against everything I had been taught. I thought people listened only because they were too timid to speak or didn't know the answer. A loving silence often has far more power to heal and to connect than the most well-intentioned words. I think it's so true and yet so hard to live. So I'm going to offer this prayer. Spirit of life and love, remind us to listen, to offer the gift of our attention and our care to every person that we encounter in our days. For we encounter so many. Even in online spaces, we encounter other beings searching to be heard. May we set our intentions to be a safe harbor from the storm for another, allowing them to allowing them to come in from the swells of an ocean of aloneness and find a companion, find a place to anchor, to find safe harbor. May we know 
that listening isn't about speaking, but about caring. That sometimes all we need to do is to reflect back what we hear, allowing another to encounter themselves anew, maybe for the first time. May we be those people. Amen. And blessed be. In the next couple of weeks, we're starting a new segment of the podcast called Coming to Terms. We're going to invite members of our community to share about how they've wrestled to come to terms with things in the past and how in coming to terms, they've been able to move forward and live fully in the present. Sometimes that means making sense of something, seeing the situation from a different perspective, making a choice to do something different, letting go, moving that path of forgiveness, acknowledging trauma and hurt and healing. And we'd love to talk to you if you've had to come to terms with something significant in your life. If you have a story of coming to terms with something in your past that was blocking you, preventing you from living fully in the present, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at sean at foothillsuu.org. Each week, we're going to share one of these stories of someone coming to terms as a way of helping all of us through our shared stories. Now, everything we do on the podcast is made possible by the amazing financial support of our community. And so I want to say thank you. You know, we're moving into the season where many of us are thinking about our legacy, are thinking about how we're making a difference in the world. And everyone who's making a financial contribution to Foothills is a part of the legacy of love that we are building together. And so I want to say thank you. If you aren't already a financial supporter of Foothills, I invite you to consider doing it. It's really easy. You can go to foothillscuorg slash give, and there's many options there. From a one-time gift to a recurring gift, donating stock, even your old car. If, if what we do at Foothills and this podcast and beyond creates a sense of gratitude for us, that you want to be a part of the work that we're doing in the world, that you think it is essential to have voices like us, a community like us, doing our work, I invite you to find your way of contributing. Well, that's it for this episode. I'm so glad you're listening. As always, we love to hear from you. Reach out to us at DeeperPod, DeeperPod at foothillsuu.org. Until next time, thanks for listening. Whoa.